We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, and I am so excited for this special episode of Transformative Principle. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Thank you so much for listening. I have a really exciting announcement, but first, actually, I have three exciting announcements, so I will just get into the first one. Uh, The first one is actually kind of a bummer, but also an announcement. That is that my amazing uh, assistant principal, uh, Dr. Courtney Orr, is leaving my school this year and um, moving down to lower 48, and I am very bummed about that. However, that does mean that there is a job opening at my school for an assistant principal. And if you want to work alongside me and do amazing things for kids, then now's your chance. So that job is posted. If you are interested, it'll be posted until May 6th, I believe. And um, there's a link in the show notes that says apply for a job or something like that. I don't know what I'll say because I haven't written it yet, but when I do, it'll be on there and you can check that out at transformativeprincipal.org and, um, and you can see what that looks like. So, um, you can apply for that. The second announcement is, um, the transformative leadership summit is happening this summer. And I would invite you to participate in that. Our theme this year is going to be empowerment, which if you know me, then you know that it will actually be enrollment. But if we talk about enrollment in a school, most people just think of, you know, signing up to come to the school which is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of enrollment that Seth Godin talked about when I interviewed him, which is people being invested enough that they actually want to be there and do the things that you're doing. So that is that is what the theme is this year, and it's going to be amazing. I've already had a few people sign up and heard some amazing ideas of what they think empowerment is and how exciting to start having this conversation. So that is open for you to register for. And um, 
You can get started there, transformativeleadershipsummit.com. That is a great um, great conference that I'm working with some other people on this year, so it's going to be bigger than ever. It's going to be more amazing than ever before, and I hope that you'll join us, and I'm really excited about it. Um, the third thing that I want to talk about, which is what this podcast episode is actually about, and that is so exciting. I am so grateful to work for a school board and a superintendent that has the kind of vision that we need right now. What you're going to hear today is a uh, public recording that you can get from Board Docs. I just downloaded it and cut it up to be part of this, and I am so excited because I presented to the school board a week and a half, a week ago actually now, um, about doing a K-12 magnet school. Now, this is just in the research stages, so there's nothing that is um, official yet, um, but just the fact that the board had this conversation with me and uh, is willing to uh, have us go ahead and do it, and the fact that the superintendent has the vision for this to happen is just amazing. So I'm very grateful to my superintendent, Dr. Karen Gabork, for uh, this opportunity. I'm grateful to the board for allowing me to pursue this. And for those of you who have been listening for a while, you know this is the direction that I've been heading for years. This is what I've been trying to do. And, you know, many people, good for them, are doing private schools and charter schools that are kind of outside of a typical district school. And I'm really trying hard to change education from the inside out. And it takes courageous people like my school board and my superintendent to support this kind of approach. And I I don't know what it's going to look like yet. So if you want to follow along and, I mean, hit subscribe and you, you'll, you'll be listening to it as I talk about it over the next several months and, and years as we develop this. But I also uh, want you to go to transformativeprinciple.org and, uh, and put your name and email in and we can start having conversations about what this could look like. So here's the really cool thing. I have um, connections with you, with um, people all over the country and all over the world who are doing innovative things in education. And we really have an opportunity to bring all those great minds together and and create something powerful um, and get the best ideas and, and not just what I'm limited to because of where I happen to live, which in the old days was very isolating, but now is so amazing because we have this global network. We have ways to connect with people. So I'd really love for you to be part of that conversation with me and go to transformativeprinciple.org slash episode 1049, which is what this episode is. And you can um, be part of that conversation with me. And I'm so excited. Thank you so much for listening. And I'd love to hear your feedback. I believe that this is a very exciting thing. And I'm so grateful to you for listening. Thank you so much. And enjoy this conversation. That brings us to our next item, which is the K-12 Magnet School um, discussion. And I will again turn it over to Dr. Kabark. Thank you. So this has been an idea. Um, I think the board has heard me reference this maybe generally a few times. I started... Um, 
talking about a little bit more this spring, and I wanted to bring it in front of you. Um, uh, the next step I would like to go in terms of expanding options um, at our secondary schools is a K-12 magnet school. And uh, there's, a, K there's um, a couple different examples in Anchorage. Perlaris K-12 is one example. Um, I always want to say Highland Tech. Is that right? Highland Tech in Anchorage is another example. Uh, and my goal here is to, again, um, have another option for families. But also what I'd like to do is create, um, this kind of goes back to, you know, um, when the board was thinking about a magnet school um, originally, and then we shifted to K-8. But I'd like to create um, a school that is um, has a blended learning environment, which are, you know, some of the things that we've been talking about, and a competency-based system. So it, it really would be a school where all things personalized learning um, could come to fruition in one school. So it'd be a school of choice, uh, you know, um, something that... Um, you know, parents could um, select or not. And one of my, um, and we'll, we'll walk through this, one thing that would be extremely important to me is that from the outset, this school, um, the student population, the demographics of this school would match our district, and it would be set up that way from the beginning. So, um, and you can do that with a magnet school, and it's just much easier to get at if you set it up that way from the beginning. You know, we've talked about moving that direction with Hutch, moving that direction with Barnett. Once things get established, those are, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting shift to make. But if you set that up that way from the front, then you can ensure that you have a diverse student population. So I have Jethro here because Jethro came to us with lots of... Um, Great ideas around uh, personalized learning. Um, he and I have been talking about this. He's actually done some of the research um, on this. I'm going to let him walk through. He and I worked on this document together that you have in front of you. This is really the idea stage. If this, um, so this is really kind of a forward-thinking project, knowing that you need a few years to get this done. Just like we saw with K-8, the idea would be that next year um, we would spend time doing research, probably do a touch base with the board at that point, um, um, give a report, and then if we were to move forward, then spend you know the next year planning that. So we'd be two years out on opening, um, um, on uh, moving this direction, and that would be the fastest it would move. Um, if you remember, I think we ended up adding another year, uh, at least one more year to our to our K eight plan, just so we had more time. So um, I'll let Jethro walk through this. Um, and uh, Jethro brings to us um, experience not only from other districts in uh, Alaska, but also um, outside of Alaska. So he can. Um, so he's got kind of this broad perspective that I appreciate. Uh, anyway, we'll walk through this, and then if you have questions for him or for us, um, we'll kind of field those as we go. And um, basically, I'm I'm hoping for a nod from the board to begin the research on this and start putting it together. So um, I uh, I've been a principal in Alaska and a principal in Utah. And then for the past four and a half years, I've also been um, interviewing successful principals, superintendents, and others from around the world for my podcast called Transformative Principal. And so I've been researching this type of approach for uh, quite a long time, and um, I've been in a competency-based system um, since my second year of teaching. And so coming to a system that's not competency-based, I see... Um, where we can go, and I'm, I'm really excited about this opportunity. Is it appropriate for me to read through this or so, summarize? Yeah. Yep. Or I, yeah, I, I kind of feel, have you ever seen that movie, The Incredibles, when Dash, like, 
finally gets to use his powers, and <laughs> I kind of feel like you're saying, yeah, you can use your powers. So I'm just so excited about this because there's so much opportunity. Um, kids and being in the same school from kindergarten through 12th grade has so many benefits of creating this long-term relationship with the staff, with the um, other students in the school. And we're allowed to, if we're starting from the ground up, we design the school uh, to meet your strategic goals as the board. And so all of the strategic goals that we've gone over, those can all be placed as priority number one. It also gives us time to focus on educating the whole child and not just um, specifically focusing in certain areas because that's all the time that the teachers have time for. And when it's competency-based, then that allows us to um, see different ways that the students are demonstrating the skills that they've learned. And I just want to share a quick story about two of my children. My oldest daughter, um, she has Down syndrome, and she requires a much different kind of education than uh, my next youngest daughter, or my next oldest daughter, who is like a little brainiac. And so I see these two, and I see how they interact at home, and then they go to school, and they have two totally different learning environments and opportunities, and I really want them to be able to use that interchange that they have at home to teach each other and support each other without having to be separated from each other when they get to school during the day. So how do we do this? Um, we are certainly going to need to do a reassessment of our grading and standards into a competency-based system and do flexible student progression throughout the years. Um, my daughter is in fourth grade, but reading on a uh, sixth or seventh grade level, depending on which test she takes <laughs> for that. And then my sixth grade daughter, who has Down syndrome, she is reading at a first or second grade level and is developmentally at the level where that is amazing. But she's going to be coming to middle school next year, and she's going to lose access to those teachers that have the early um, childhood, early reading skills that she needs to help her continue to develop. That is one of the benefits of doing something like a K-8, but with this process, we sometimes see ninth and 10th graders even who have such a low reading level, we can still reach them. And by the same token, we can help uh, a student like my daughter who's reading and doing math at a much higher level, we can give them access to those high level teachers before they even get out of elementary school and give them opportunities to, um, to experience that. Um, I mentioned already about the developing strong relationships between the families and the school and the learning facilitators and the learners. Um, many of the schools that have a model like this use the term learning facilitator instead of teacher because they see it in a competency-based system as their job is to support that learning rather than to guide and direct that learning, which is a very different approach. Um, we'd be able to focus on the strategic mission, vision, and goals and initiatives implemented from the ground up and we can have a future-driven design process, which to me really means that we can take a look at these kids and say, what do we want a graduate of this school to look like? And we can map out that entire course from the time they graduate all the way back to when they're kindergartners, and we can see what that process is going to look like all the way through. This also gives a lot of leadership opportunities for older students and younger students as well. Um, one of the schools that is doing a model like this is called Acton Academy in Austin, Texas. And when I talked to Jeff Sandifer, the co-founder of that, what he said about that was that the middle school kids, as you know, they can be squirrely, they were getting too squirrely, 
and the elementary level kids came in and said, this is not acceptable, you need to do a better job of behaving, and they took over that classroom where the middle school kids were, and the middle school kids had to get permission from the younger kids who were teaching them how to behave appropriately. I mean, how amazing is that? And I see this with my own kids, and you've probably seen it with your kids as well, that sometimes the younger ones are the better examples and the older ones need to pay a little more attention. Um, one of the concerns that always comes up when people talk about this is that that's crazy to have seniors in the same place as kindergartners, and there's no way that can be good because, you know, as kids get older, they are more exposed to the world. And when we uh, went down to Polaris K-12 in Anchorage, we asked that question, and we said, how does this work when these kids are of such different ages? And they said that because of their vastness in age difference, they actually acted more appropriately around the younger kids. And when there was uh, dirty jokes or inappropriate language or anything like that, then the other kids self-corrected um, in their group and said, you guys can't be talking like that. There's first graders and second graders over here. And again, with a long-term relationship with a family feel, we'll be able to uh, ensure that those kinds of things are still happening. Um, <coughs> The representation, that family feel, I just talked about that. Um, student enrollment in a K-12 learning environment allows for much longer access to the great teachers, and I think I shared that already. Um, one of the issues that we have at Tanah right now is that students coming to Tanah who are ready for algebra in seventh grade um, can take algebra in seventh grade because we offer that, but then when it comes time for them to take geometry, which is the next step, they don't have access to that, and in a system like this, we would be able to provide those solutions to those kids. Um, a well-designed magnet school serves a diverse student population. This is really, really important to me, uh, Ms. Dominique, because I want it to be diverse not only in um, race and ethnicity, but also in ensuring that our students with special needs have access to high-quality teachers, high-quality curriculum, and real learning opportunities that allow them to grow at their own level. Um, I think this will be my daughter's fifth year using the same special ed program that is designed to be a two-year program, and obviously that's not working, and so we need to try something else, and it's just because we've moved. I'm not knocking our special ed department, so <laughs> um, it's just because we've moved and she's been put in the same system again and again, and we want to make sure that we have access to many different things to allow students to personalize their learning and to be more in charge of their learning. Kids all love learning, and then they go to school, and that love for learning gets beat out of them by taking tests and uh, following a curriculum instead of being able to do what they want. One of the things that, that this would also allow is something like a Montessori approach where the students are participants in their learning process and not just receivers of it from the teacher. So there are a bunch of questions um, that we're not, we don't know the answer to yet, and so we need time to research and figure these things out. Um, what other schools around the world are successful with this approach? And I put in around the world because I know in different countries they have a much different approach, and I've interviewed a lady from uh, Finland, which is, you know, the creme de la creme of education, and uh, the, their approach is certainly much different than ours. And they have a lot of things to add that would make it make it very good. What structures do we need to put in place to ensure that diversity? What functions and activities will be available at the magnet school? 
and at attendance area schools? How will we communicate to staff, students, families, and the community about this new option for families? What resources will be necessary to open a high-quality K-12 magnet school? And, I mean, the list just goes on and on of questions. And that, for me, is actually quite exciting because <laughs> I love asking those questions. I love connecting with other people who are doing that. Um, I'm currently in talks with a school in Chicago uh, called Bennett Upper Day School, and that school is a... Um, is following this competency-based model where the students are in charge of their own learning, and it's it's very exciting. Um, as Dr. Gabork mentioned, I've already been looking at a bunch of these different models. I've helped plan some of these things in the past, and uh, some of us went down and visited some schools in Anchorage uh, to already experience this, and um, I'm just excited about this. I mean, it's great. So I would love to answer any questions that you have and see if I can get in trouble with Karen. <laughs> before before uh, he gets in trouble. Um, I just want to say, I, I know that, um, uh, you know, this is, uh, I want Jethro on this team, but it, but it would be a team approach. So um, certainly there would be a group of people working on this uh, project. And, and it's interesting. So just um, coincidentally, interest has come to me for um, a blended type school. People are, I think as we move through personalized learning, teachers and other staff in the district are looking um, for opportunities to do some different things. So it's, uh, I, I told folks, I said, well, listen into this work session and, and um, we might be able to, you know, if you're interested, we might be able to move forward with some, with um, looking at some of these models, so. Well, I, I wouldn't know who to direct this to. But if we're getting success from this, would we be able to expand on it? You know, like out in North <laughs> Pole. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, because I, I, you know, I, I know we talked about it at the last meeting, you know, but I'd like to see some, you know, some of the stuff start happening out in North Pole, especially since we're going to have some of the F-35 kids and stuff like that, so... I would think so, and that the good point there, you know, in terms of location, again, we're so far out on that, you know, I don't know what location would be, but I think that would be, um, so replicating success, I would definitely be interested in that. Um, that, to, so we have schools that are, the, the, the K-8 models are, um, when you look at what their afternoons look like, they've done, um, they've incorporated some things that are very similar to what are happening at Barnett. So, I mean, I think, I think people, you know, are seeing pockets of success in different um, places in the district and wanting to replicate that, so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I mean, that, that's some of the questions that, you know, I get from the parents out there is, you know, how come some of that stuff isn't hit, passing the boarding and yeah. had passing the border and coming out to North Pole, so, you know, just giving a shot out for North Pole. Gotcha. Can I answer a little bit of that as well? One of the, the great things about my experience um, with doing my podcast is that every week I ask these other principals a question that I need help with myself as a leader. And so I'm able to hear from them, get ideas, and my idea would be to make sure that whatever we're doing here at the school would be something that we would m make known to other people as well so that if a school wanted to take some ideas, they would be more than welcome to do that, and it's only our imagination that would limit us in being able to do that. That, you know, just in the year I've been here, the collaboration among principals and ideas that are, that are shared between us and teachers is so powerful that um, when these good ideas happen, it's hard to keep them 
contained. And so that's that's the idea is that this would be a place to meet your strategic goals, your vision, and then other schools would be able to see it in action and, and learn from it as well. So I'm kind of torn about this. Um, schools that you went to in Anchorage are great schools. My son graduated from Stellar. My grandchildren have gone to Pol uh, Polaris. And I've gone to those schools and went in there, and they're great. Um, I think my main concern is, and I know, you know, we can't hold back because of finances and our, you know, what we're going through right now. But on the other hand, there's that perception out in the community that we are trying to do too much at once. Yeah. So, you know, I would just be, we have to be mindful of that. There's going to be, have to be a big campaign. I mean, I'm excited about this. I mean, these are, I think this is a great option um, and to really build these options up in our community, but we have to be very mindful of the backlash, if you will, of comments that we'll be facing. And I think it's going to be a big task in communications <laughs> when we, when we get there. I know we're several years out, but just bringing this up, we're going to be getting a lot of comments about that. Uh, Ms. Dominique and then Mr. Rice. Um, I have a couple of questions. Um, the K-12 Polaris School, I think you kind of answered my question. How long has it been around? It's been there a long time. It has, and they've been very successful. Very successful. There's always a waiting list for getting in that school. And why do they have just one K-12 and they have one that's 612 and 712. Do you know why they did that instead of going with maybe two of the K-12? Because they have a large student population there. And I would have thought Anchorage would have gone with at least two k twelve. Do you know why they split it up like that? No, I think that's a great question. I'm not sure of the answer to that. Um, my own thought on that is that from what I understand of how Polaris was created was that it was really a push by a particular employee who said, I really want to do this and pushed hard for it and worked um, a lot to make it happen. And, and that's what I know about that. Highland Academy started out as a, um, as a charter school. It was called Highland Tech High, and then it changed it, its name to Highland Academy, and I believe that it's still a charter school, um, but it's gone through some transition as well. And then Stellar, I think, is a similar issue that it was – they're all considered schools of choice, according to Anchorage School District. And so they have many more options than that. These were just the three that we right. looked at. So um, I think what they're doing is just diversifying a lot and putting a lot of options out there as well. And the other one I wanted to – while I'm on that topic, um, if it's a K-12, is it divided in different parts in the building for the students? So that's – now we're getting into some really exciting stuff. <laughs> so, um, so Polaris has um, students all throughout. And so there are wings that are more or less certain grade levels. But when we were there, there were kids all over the school. So, you know, they don't, they don't divide them up or segregate them like that. And that would be the intention here, that we gain value from other people whether they're the same age as us or not. And so making it um, intermixed and opportunities for that would, I would think, would be appropriate, just like they are at Polaris. Again, that's a question we don't know the answer to for us, but that's one of the questions that I'm very interested in. Okay, because... Okay, my last one, then somebody else can talk. 
Do they have SROs or some type of security employers? No. They, they it, don't. No. It was so wide open. I mean, the, the school is arranged where you walk in and there's stairs going up um, to a second floor. And as you go into the little courtyard area, there is a balcony and that's where a row of classrooms are. And then there's a row of classrooms down the hall and then library and gym are over here on the left. And it is, it is very much an open school. Um, you can stand on the second floor, see across to the other balcony, and, um, and, and it's just very open. And the behavior incidents that they have are very low. They said they don't have a lot of issues with behavior. Located. Can't be in Muldoon. No. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be a movie theater, right? I remember when they yeah. shifted. Yep. It used to yeah. be a movie theater. So, like, a little bit south of Midtown? A little bit south, south of Midtown, yeah. It's, oh. But it's like right off the Seward Highway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know Anchorage well enough to have any idea. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect it's an Anchorage. Yeah. <laughs> Anchorage, got it. But I want you to know, I'm really excited about a magnet school. I'm just kind of concerned about a K-12 and going to another change after we just gone into the K-8, as Ms. McConnell stated. Whoever's next. <laughs> oh. Um, so, since you're here, you're probably talking about Tanana being the K-12. <laughs> That's what I thought. But she just said it, no, no. it may not The location be. has not been determined. It's going to be part of the research. Yeah. So, um, where location? <laughs> Should have been on that. So, um, then, you know, I was also going to ask, you know, uh, how many kids would we be looking at, you know, uh, with some of the charter schools, you know, we have, what, uh, 150, so... So I think that would probably be tied to location and then also, you know, sort of um, best practices. I mean, what are if there, if there is such a thing, best practices around K-12, is it, you know, how many classrooms per grade level? What does that look like? How many kids per grade level? Yeah, so lots to be determined. And then uh, uh, just one more, um, like how, how do they handle, you know, like a, social events, you know, uh, some of the seniors and juniors went ball and prom, you know, some dances for the middle school kids, you know, sports, music, uh, you know, uh, concerts like that. I can answer. Music would be terrific, huh? Like mm -hmm. K-12 music, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I won't know the street names, although I probably should since I've been in Anchorage enough. So Polaris high school students who choose to participate in high school sports, not all do, um, are in the West High School attendance area. And so when ASA kicks in for those kids at Polaris who want to participate in interscholastic activities, they do so at West High School. Wait a minute. Say that Wait, again? Yeah. I didn't get that. Say that again. For students who are at Polaris, they're... They participate in the West Anchorage High School activities for those kids who want to. There are a handful of students um, who participate at South, but by and large, their population of students um, seem, for high school seem to come from the attendance area of West High School. That's what their head teacher shared with us when they were down there. So, so it's still based on attendance uh, or on residential, on where they live. Yes. 
Now, not all of the kids who attend who are in high school at uh, Polaris live in that West Anchorage, but she said for those students who are choosing to participate, the majority, not all, participate at West High School. So it's still the same rules we have to live by. Sure, same exact rules. Same rules, yes. What you're saying is that this school is going to be an open school. Anybody can go to this school if it's space or lottery or however you're going to do it. But then if they want to play a sport, it won't be at that particular school. They may have to go to another school. So you're talking about transportation to get the kid to the school, and if they play a sport, they're going to have to be transported somewhere else. That's kind of like middle schoolers at Barnett who want exactly. to play basketball. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. That's so, the way it would be, right? So, so I'll defer to Karen, but I think all that is open to research, um, and that's part of, I think, what Jethro has been talking about at Polaris from their head teacher they don't have a large percentage of their students who choose to participate in interscholastic sports. Really? They just you know how many they do a lot of other they, they do a lot of other things. I was just looking for that um, I, because she I told us. I think it was around three to four hundred, which is about the size of um, of the three middle schools here in town. Um, on that, there there's another school called Seattle Academy, um, which is in Seattle, and. <laughs> And they have a very strong um, sporting program at that school. And so through their system, they have figured out a way to make sure that they have the sports in place and that that is an important thing. They've been around for 26 years, and so they've been able to build that up. I don't know where that started, but that's one of the questions that we'll be researching is, is where do we start with that? Mm -hmm. And also, what does that look like when a kindergartner enters high school um, and everywhere in between, and, and how do we build up if that's what we want, and how do we ensure that we have that transportation to ensure we have a diverse uh, clientele, how do we ensure that those students still have opportunities uh, to participate in, in high school activities if that's what they choose. Mr. Rice, did you have another question, or was that? Uh, no, no, okay. that was, I, you know, I would just uh, want to make sure that, you know, we had some, some kind of a plan you know, for the activities for the kids. Mr. Bartels. So I, <clears throat> this is an um, exciting topic, and I, I want to uh, preface my comments with uh, echoing Ms. McConnell's concerns. Um, having said that, I think it's also important and very important that we have the continual push for vision and, and kind of how we progress, even if we don't know if it's fiscal year 19, 21, you know, but into the future, we're looking at this, and and so um, I I encourage that that vision and that community, you know, that whole research and kind of just looking forward to what this might come because we do have a successful magnet school right now that we've, we've got a population that uh, has supported it. But most of my comments are more questions to add to the list, and I, you know, some of them <clears throat> you've um, touched on the housing and whatnot, and, and the enrollment number I'm sure is going to be dictated by the housing. Um, but I'm assuming we're talking a lottery type system. Um, a lottery with some very specific parameters. Sure, sure, it, sure. Yeah. And I and I think that's that's because we see so many of these um, charter schools come into play, and it throws the demographics completely out of whack. So I'm encouraged to hear that that's one of our our forerunner decisions as far as to making certain that its uh, population represents our community. And so thank you for doing that. Um, 
couple of cautions I have that as we were coming out of this, and I don't know, um, and this is just my my own opinion, but you know, like the charter schools, and we talked about we had a work session a week ago or two weeks ago about a charter school that's looking to form, and and one of the concerns there is that you know they play by a completely different set of rules than our general population, and. And there's some serious concerns there, especially when we talk about the most sensitive concern, that being PTR. And and so I caution when we enter into this as to what that looks like, you know, because I don't think that it's fair to have a lottery school, you know, where you start getting into the, the preferential treatment. I mean, the only year it's fair is the first year. And then after that, you get into a situation where class sizes are limited, and we can even use the concept of how Hutch began and then how it has progressed to today and, and, and just the whole, you know, it, 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 I just caution. It's just a caution is all. I don't know how that works. I'm not sure how we work through that process. But I think if we're going to enter into something like this, we need to keep some of our, our uh, charter concerns on the forefront and make sure that this isn't a school that becomes um, – um, something that the others don't have to, to, you know, that they play by a different set of rules and the others, you know, kind of left behind. So it's a concern. And uh, But uh, aside from that, I, I'm assuming there's going to be some looping. Does, is that part of the process? Do the classes, are there some looping just because you have this community and they kind of all grow together? Is yeah, and, and with the idea of competency-based learning, um, kids <laughs> could loop or kids could accelerate or kids could stay behind and it – it, what we're going to focus on is how do we ensure that every student meets what our standards are for graduation. And, and that's where we set the bar. Then we backtrack that and figure out what kids need to learn in each grade level. And typically it won't really be grade levels either because those are artificial that we just make up to make it easier to organize people. Um, but for this kind of an approach, it's really what do you need to accomplish before you leave this this cocoon and move on to this cocoon. And one of the schools that, that does this is Acton Academy in, in Austin, Texas, and I think I may have mentioned them before, but the way they deal with that is that they have um, kids that are in elementary school, and that's their only designation is elementary. And that is kindergarten through about sixth grade. And as I've been brainstorming about how this works and pulling from different resources, I'm looking at grade bands that are kindergarten through third and then fourth through sixth or something like that. Um, and then we have goals that we want them to, to achieve. One of the things that Highland Academy does that is really cool is they have PSS standards. I don't remember what the PSS stands for, but it's like personal, social, something. And you have to, you have to take time to pass off those standards. And uh, the principal, Michael Shapiro there, he said that um, – Kids come in in sixth grade, and then they have six years to be able to accomplish these. However, it takes about two years to get through one of them. So nobody, almost nobody, gets to a level four PSS because that is such such a high standard that they want those who can achieve that to continue to be working on those kinds of skills. But it's such a high standard that usually nobody makes it to that. They have to get to a level three to graduate, but then they could push on if they finish level three before then and try to get level four before they finish. And those are very uh, self-reflective, self-aware, 
examinations of who they are as a person that um, that gets, I mean, I'm kind of off of your original question now, but, but being able Doing to find fine. ways to move, move kids through and teach them more than just reading, writing, arithmetic, but to teach them how to be human beings, how to have compassion and kindness and care about others and want to change the world. Another school in um, Oakland, <coughs> California is called Park Day School. And this school, their whole mission is to help students solve social justice issues. And so their whole purpose is to engage students in social dialogue to make the world better for everybody. And so their approach is by the time these kids are seniors, they need to have a cause that they are actively pursuing, supporting, that is making life better for someone who can't make their life better for themselves. So there are so many different ideas out there that I, I wouldn't want to restrict us to certain grade levels because my second grade son could have an impact on something that, that a senior is working on. I want to allow that if it's appropriate and if it's helpful and if they can both learn from it. And I don't want to restrict that just because he happens to be eight and this other person happens to be 18. An eight-year-old can still provide value to the world, and I want to uh, expand on that and make that a possibility. So just to follow up, so social skills would be a, you know, part of the whole looping unit. Right? Um, I got two comments, if I may. But the one, the one thing that comes to mind too is that you know um, we start the school, and, and you know we have a, uh, a busing challenge. I don't know if the hours of the school are going to be consistent with you know everybody from K through 12 starts at eight and ends at three, or if it's a if it's a process. Uh, but if it's not, then I'm assuming that we've got dedicated busing and things like that to consider, or or, or how's that work? So just throwing out a question. Yeah, that's um, a good question. Lastly, I, I, how do you start a school like this? You know, that's the that, where. How do you how do you just get something like this off the ground? And because if I'm a sophomore in high school, it's not really like I'm going to transfer to this magnet school. Maybe, maybe not. But would you consider the thought of Barnett becoming a K twelve, where it's a natural progression? <laughs> we fix it. Once, budget, once, right? once we finish Let's get it. our fifteen million dollar bond. Once we finish it, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm just throwing thought starters out, and you know, because that to me would seem like I a would natural progression. Because you have, it. you have like our K K eights right now, where we're we're expanding those schools with seventh grade, and then spending next, you know, the next process would be seven eighth, and you know, I was just thinking about Barnett. Could that could that work? Now I know space is a challenge, but maybe the whole Barnett school has to move. I don't know. So I think it could work. I think there's multiple. It's interesting. This is something Jethro and I've talked about a little bit. Is um, you know how you populate a school like this. So you certainly can start. You know what I mean? Clear the slate, and you know, or or you could start with the core and expand. Or you know, there's different ways to get at that. Um, in the end, location will probably have um, play a part in that. Mm -hmm. So and you know, I think as we, so we're we're a few years out, and so watching um, our student enrollment. You know, watching again. We have this sort of school closure conversation potentially going on. Watching, you know, our um, the fairness <coughs> population in general. I think all these things are going to tie together in terms of, you know, what location might work. And um, um, yeah, so I hadn't even thought about the Barnett, but I think that's a. Something I don't to think it list. would work, only because of the fact it's a lottery, mm -hmm. and if you're going to 
take away from these kids having another opportunity for a K-12 magnet, keep Barnett. And in that way, other kids would have an opportunity for another have a different school. opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you're taking something away from them. I feel like we're kind of headed in this direction as a district, which I appreciate. You know, sort of, I mean, if schools want to do different things, they can. And so, you know, if Barnett, if we were to get Barnett finished and Barnett felt like it wanted to add to its original scope, I, you know, I, I would mm-hmm. think as a, that we'd be open to that. Um, that's just, you know, sort of Karen's thought. That just like, um, you know, we, we, weren't able this year, um, next year, to get at all five K-8s, but there are, you know, there's still some schools very interested in, you know, continuing to move in that direction. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think the conversation's open. If And if I just may add to that, how do you start a school like this? If the vision is clear enough of what we want the graduate to look like, then I believe that people will come even as a senior, even as a junior and a sophomore. Um, there are kids who are struggling in our current system who are not successful, who need something else, and this would be an opportunity to capture those kids who who don't fit our current mold and um, and provide a, an alternative option for them. And, and I think that piece there really does give um, a lot of credence to being able to start it with all 13 grades at once. Just a question to, to look at. I know there's a legal barrier for um, for the make, ensuring that we have diverse charter schools by, you know, there's certain things that we can and cannot do. Is that legal barrier the same for a magnet school? No, that's why um, I, I think that's why we started to pursue the conversation um, with Barnett, we've, and we've kind of stopped. Um, it certainly is going to come up once we, once once we get further along in the conversation about Hutch, and we kind of, you know, again, we'll have to come back and talk with the board about where we're headed with Hutch. That has got to be part of that conversation. Um, I just heard feedback again today. We're not talking about Hutch today, but that, but that Hutch just keeps moving in a different direction than we originally intended, um, and the kids that I. I wasn't here when it was, well, I guess I was here, but I wasn't in this position when it was formed. The kids we were intended, that mm-hmm. we were attempting to serve are not being served there. Not saying that's right or wrong, um, but I think we have to, anyway. So in, in my mind, when we, for Hutch, when we decide where we're headed with Hutch, that'll, that'll be something we either address or don't. So um, on the front end, with a magnet school, we can address that. Because we, I mean, we saw the published demographics for all the schools, and it's pretty clear that our charter and our magnet and hutch are in one direction, and the rest of the schools are in another direction. So it would be good to even those out where we can. Agreed. That's why, again, and I I was pretty upfront about this a couple weeks ago, I am... I am much more in favor, I think this board's talked about this, much more in favor of magnet schools than I am charter schools because the district can control those mm-hmm. pieces, whereas a charter school we just cannot. And then can we get a... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Can we get a quick update on the K through 8? Because I know that we were going to do a couple that's part of the strategic plan, so it would be fit into this conversation. But um, And I, I know, like for LAD, a few people had dropped out after they had originally put in so are we still looking at it one or two so so for those that are um, now 
now that it's real and we're having conversations with people about what it is, there are people that are coming to the to the table now that hadn't come to the table, and there are people making decisions about going to Tana or, or um, uh, Ryan. Um, I just met last week with uh, Michael Campbell and Georgia Sandgren from the military, and we have a meeting this week. No, next week with the senior spouses, and another meeting coming up with the. Um, the command, and we're going to be really heavily advertising this is an option for families that are moving to the area from the military bases. So I think it was wise of us to select um, LAD and Arctic Light as schools that can, they both have large enough populations that there's still those decisions being made now that it's real, and they have populations that come in, and when parents realize that they could have their seventh grader and their third grader and their kindergarten, kindergartner all at the same school, we're really hoping that that helps with those. Um, so we're not giving up the effort to keep those options on people's minds and make it easy for them to choose. Um, so we've got some real great plans on how to continue that um, information. So I, I'd like to see us continue with the K-12 research. Um, I don't think it should be a Barnett. I, I mean, I think it should be separate from Barnett. I think we need to have more options, not just one that's expanded. Um, it doesn't Could, have the capacity, anyways. right? So, um, you get eighteen million in the expanded. So it'd be really interesting to see. Obviously, you're very passionate about this. <laughs> you can tell in your voice that you're just so excited and just chomping at the bit to go. Um, so I would. I've been holding him back for like a year. <laughs> been like, I'm not ready yet, Jethro. I'm not ready yet. Now, if you could. Um, so I would like to see where it goes because I think it's a great idea and another option for our community. I just, um, you know. I just hope that we can make sure that it, it's for all of our community and not just a select few. Well, and I was going to comment that um, while I, um, I agree that we do get comments about you guys are doing too much, um, my communication strategy around something around, around this would be that um, this is how – so we, we keep having these charter schools pop up, and this is how we can actually create – schools of choice that um, are open to all students and not just select populations. And so I would almost counter that, yes, um, yes, it's a new um, and something that's that's um, additional that, you know, okay, you guys keep doing these new things. But um, I think our community has shown that they want new things because we have new charters. And so if we have new opportunities, um, that we are able to then manage transportation so that all students have access, manage food so that all students have access. Um, I mean, those are our two, the two biggest barriers you hear from folks who can't access a charter school are transportation and lunches. And so, um, at least from the folks I talk to. So we have that control with a magnet, which I think is, um, is really great. But the other thing, and I think about what um, Ms. Koval, our student representative who sits on the board, said a couple weeks ago um, about respecting student voices. And it, it makes me think about when you talk about um, respecting an eight-year-old's an eight voice and how, um, as parents, I'm sure all of us at the table as parents, empower our children to you know talk to us respectfully, let their voices be heard, understand barriers and, and lines and all those things, but um, really valuing um, 
students at all ages and not just saying, oh, you're, you're just a second grader because you're not just a second grader. Um, and, and that, to me, more than anything, um, is really exciting to hear that um, all students, I mean, I really like the grading piece too, and anybody who knows about my grading thing knows that <laughs> that makes me really excited too. But the whole idea that you can embrace a student um, from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade and that their voice matters and that their feedback matters and that if, if those two kiddos can work on a project together and they both value it and get something out of it, um, I think that's incredible because I wouldn't turn to a 30-year-old and say, oh, you're 30, I can't talk to you. I mean, you know, so we want to teach those things to our kids, I guess, growing up um, as they get older. And I know we had a lot of concern around K-8s and, and um and we have schools that do K-8 and do it, you know, well, and um, all the kids intermingle. And I think it would be an extension of that. And you might have in your first couple of years, it might be, you know, one of the things that I, I, you see with, um, I can say specifically for Barnett, but I think it applies at some of the other um, K-8 schools, is that the kids kind of grow up in that building. And so they take pride in it, and they take pride in the fact that they get to show the younger kids these things. And... Um, and so you might in the first couple of years have some juggling because you have all new kids. Um, but I think our kids are capable. I think our kids are, would embrace it. Um, we have incredible students. And um, if they were given the opportunity to be integrated in that kind of setting, I think they would rise to the occasion, not fall to a, a lower standard. Um, and I'm going to keep my rosy glasses on and just believe that that's, <laughs> that, you know, if we expect students to behave a certain way um, and we go at it at the right approach, and I've seen some incredible things going on, what's the, the champs, um, through champs, um, and how, how kids are responding to that. And so I, I do believe that there's a way, um, it has to all be done right and appropriately. Um, I, I would personally, just on a side note, say go for it at Barnett just because it would benefit me personally. <laughs> but Barnett, I, I agree that it should be something separate because we already have that. Um, and, this, and that opportunity is kind of closed for, um, I don't know what their wait list numbers are this year, but um, every, every single kid except for kindergarten went on a wait list. That was it. Every single this kid. Year except for kindergarten, went on a wait list. Um, so the wait list has got to be 300. But that's sad. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, that we have other opportunities, and I think that because we don't necessarily have the end say in a charter school, um, and in fact, if we say no, the state can still say yes, we need to look even more, we need to look further out in the future and say, okay, how can we create these schools of choice that people are wanting to create for themselves um, so that we can provide for all students? Because I, I think we all share the same concern around the diversity piece and access um, and, and those different areas, you know, what are we getting at with a charter school, low class sizes um, versus um, having uh, experiences for students, and, and um, I believe that as a district magnet school, we could we could do that and provide that opportunity. So I would. Oh, and the last thing I'm going to say, sorry, is I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know that I'm ready to say let's research for an opening in this year. I'd say if you guys want to research and then come back, 
yeah. and then we talk about it. Mm-hmm. And the, because, uh, and maybe put your research on timelines um, mm-hmm. type of thing, but to say, okay, we're going to spend 2018, 19 researching, but I don't know that I'm ready to say so that in 21, 22, we could have a K-12 magnet. Um, maybe get through the researching part and we can really have an in-depth discussion before does that make mm-hmm. so, so like I, I don't want to commit to anything tonight. That, oh, yeah. But I think no, the definitely. biggest thing is to make sure when we're doing this research, because we ran into this whole thing with the K-8 issue, everybody came back that year when we were trying to implement it and said, I knew nothing of it. That's when we got that big group of Tanana parents and people coming in. We knew nothing of it. How come y'all going ahead with this? When you're doing your research, I think that's at the time you need to notify the whole community. This is what we're thinking about. We would love your input. We would love your comments so that everybody knows what we're doing because it seemed like it was kind of covert. And I knew we had started two years out, but they didn't. So the communication was very bad, I thought, in that whole process because people didn't start talking until we were trying to implement it. So this would be a good piece to put on that strategic planning for the community input would be something of this to get it out there. And that way we would have some information on it when we came back in February or March and and had our more in-depth strategic planning process assessment. So that sounds like a lot of fine-tuning of what kind of a school we're going to create by middle of the year next year so that it can be included in part of those surveys. Um, I'm up to the challenge for that, um, and I think that that's definitely <coughs> possible. Um, I do just want to say one quick thing about kids rising to expectations. Um, every Sunday night, my family and I have a, a family council, and I'm sharing all these stories about my family because um, I hope you can relate to that and think about your own family as you're talking about this and know that these kids are people's children, that they're not just numbers. And I know you know that because I know – I've, I've heard you talk about our, our students that way. Um, we set goals every week, and, um, and we always tell our kids, set a goal that means something to you. And a lot of times we have goals that are kind of silly and don't make a lot of sense because my kids are kindergarten through sixth grade. Um, but at the beginning of the year, my daughter set a goal that she wanted to be able to read by the end of 2018. And she's in kindergarten and was struggling with getting her letters and sounds and all that and just wasn't really interested in it. She then, like, got fired up and every single day forced us to read to her, forced herself to read to us. And obviously, when you do that, then you learn how to read. <laughs> and so she's she's now reading quite well. And then um, the week before Valentine's Day, decided that she wanted to set a goal to not eat any candy. Mm-hmm. What? Um, <laughs> what in the world? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, she's only in kindergarten, and she already understands that she has power to control her future. And that that is a young child who, if we start kids in kindergarten and nurture them through this by the time they're seniors, what kind of a world are they going to create for the rest of us to live in? I am just so inspired by that thought that um, uh, I'll be ready to start it next year. So, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I, I think it. I think it, it goes a little bit. My comment was more to because uh, I I believe in the concept. So, but I think it goes more to the. Um, communication piece that we run up against and um, 
that sometimes even when we do what we think is our best job, we just struggle. Um, it, it, and it, it's like that for everybody. I mean, we're not the only entity that has that issue. Um, I've heard other entities say the same thing. But um, Fairbanks, sometimes it takes a little bit to kind of wrap around and embrace and, um, and, and understand kind of what's going on. And so um, I think the communication piece is the big piece. But I would say the one thing that gets hard about the communication is people have a hard time. So this will segue to our next part. But people have a hard time envisioning something that they don't have information about. And if the research hasn't been done to kind of envision a school, then the questions need to be phrased in a way that are more like, would you, you know, embrace X? Would you be interested in Y? Um, because if people don't, it, it, I saw this with the school calendar thing, if people don't know what their, what it would actually be or look like or how that feels because they've never experienced it, it's harder for them to say, oh, yes, I'd like to try that. Um, so being strategic about the questions so that, or not strategic, but thoughtful about the questions so that people um, have the opportunity to say, you know, I, I have an interest, but I need more information type of um, thing so that they're not just shutting something down that they may really have an interest in um, once a full plan is um, kind of put together. Mm -hmm. so. I think, yeah, there's there's definitely some some we can learn from our experience so I appreciate that and being very explicit in the fact that we are in the planning process um, constantly inviting input into that I mean you don't necessarily have to be part of a group to send in an email with a thought and then um, I like the idea of including it in the strategic plan um, um, input I mean I think uh, it so just my thought today would be to frame that up around again what kind of options do families want in Fairbanks right and so it may feed into this it may feed into other things I, you know that that might help with the board's initiatives so yeah I think we can we can do some things to um you know we have a bit of a tendency to do the work and then deliver I mean I think we can be really transparent that the work is being done and we don't have anything but to deliver yet but you know um, so yeah I think the majority of those parents actually found out about Tanana being changed into a K-8 school was the PTA. For some reason, that was like two weeks before we were getting ready to implement it. Um, they said that the PTA over there was the ones that told them about it. That's how they found out about it. And it was right before we was getting ready to implement. And we had a room full. Yeah. So I, I think we need to make sure all connections are made. And you keep saying emails. We still need to get it to those parents that don't have email. Right. And don't have a computer. I mean, even Melanie Hathaway say where she lives that she can't yeah. get yeah. Um, <laughs> get connections out there. So just think of yeah. the ones that don't even have a computer. So we need to make sure it's connected, it's communicated, email, paper, bird fly, however you want to get it to them. But all these groups that you have, also the um, Heather Ronhurst Ronhurst um, group. What is that? The partners that we have. It needs to be communicated to them as well as NAACP. I make sure they know about it, but that was when they wanted to get involved. So we just need to make sure it's communicated early. And I think remembering, too, that um, if we do move forward when the time comes, whenever we make the announcement about location, it's going to be a bit of an explosion. So because it'll be something new for that location. So who will make that determination, though? So I think that'll be something we'll have to bring here and, and you know, make a recommendation and then and then talk about that with the board. So. Wait, Sharon, I'm sorry. 
Mr. Bartels said something, and then I can go to Ms. McConnell. Mr. Bartels is um, impatient. A couple things. I just I think the other piece to it has got to be you got to, as Ms. McConnell said earlier, the, the economic piece has to be also part of that discussion too, because mm -hmm. I think that's going to be, regardless of when it falls, even if we have another pipeline at the time, it needs to be a part of that right. that format. But. To Mr. Jethro, I'll, my, I'll share a little bit of family thing. I'm the youngest of four siblings, and I'm exhausted raising my old, but older siblings, so preach. <laughs> it's approved. <laughs> What's the difference between a magnet school's rules and a charter school's rules? And how do they get, how does those, how do we differentiate between the two when you can, when you can do demographics at a magnet school, but we can't do it at a charter school? I, 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 I don't know the reason behind that, but there's there's statute in our state that determines that you can't get at those demographic pieces with the charter school, um, but you can um, with the magnet school. Um, and even though even though we might, um, you know, do some very interesting things with teaching and learning and curriculum and things like that, um, I'm trying to think. Uh, we had a paper I, on that. I don't know that we would. Yeah, I don't. Uh, you know, I, like I don't know that we'd be opting out of the district curriculum per se. You know, we'd be we'd be doing some different things. With that, Mel's dying to say something. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually w w was pulling this up, and I can I can find it because we had it for um, a board work session a, a while ago. A magnet school is is a um, for all purposes is a district school. <clears throat> it operates under district uh, district rules, district curriculum. Uh, it. Definitely can take different approaches, but it tends to, um, you know, waivers, if, if such things exist, work through typically through the school board and through school policy. <laughs> charters are formed separately um, from the school district. In Alaska, charter schools have to run through the school district, but they have a separate governing body. They each have their own academic policy committee. So... Um, they negotiate ahead of time any waivers to union contracts and curriculum and those things as part of the, their foundational charter. So in many states, charter schools are not, Alaska is unique. Um, there's only a few states where charter schools are required to run through the district. They usually run separately as their own governing body with their own rules and things. Um, so, so they really are a, an outside entity working through the school district and through the state and the school board's approval. Whereas a magnet school, again, is a district-created school under the district-created umbrella, um, governed and through those, those same channels as any other school would be. I guess the um, question that arises from that is why would the district take on the risk of a charter school? I mean, when you don't have, you, you have a seat at the table, kind of, but you get all the risk. And anyway, that's another discussion. We're going down a rabbit. The Thank only, other, the other, only, only other comment I'd like to say, and maybe keep in the forefront of, of looking into um, uh, future uh, fu futuristic goals, would be the Innovation Academy. I think that's something that you know. This has only been year one, but I've heard some incredible progress from that. It's a school within a school already existing. I mean, I think the economic. It kind of fits into our into our squeeze right now economically a little bit, and so and and that's something I could see. I'll, I'll use the word easy, and I know it's a big lift, but easily uh, um, put into play in the North Pole community, 
you know, the crosstown. Oh, expanding that. Expanding to other that into those schools, high schools, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I, just looking at so those to, allocations. To that, I think there's actually interest in that at North Pole High doing something like innovations. There's, um, you know, there's conversation about kind of, you know, let Lathrop, you know, figure some things out and then maybe North Pole if they're interested. And, and again, we have some new leadership coming, you know, that staff might want to sort of take the best, you know, the best of and, and look at. Um, and I, I think they have space. I mean, yeah. of course, we'll see, you know, so again wanna, after the Jets come. I, I but, didn't yeah. want to get too down, too far away from what the topic is, but I think that that's something, too, that, you know, could could lend some I, further discussion. I think one of the counselors, that way he's not there anymore, but, like, had a whole plan built around a school within a school at North Pole High School. And <laughs> I don't know that it went anywhere, but, yeah, mm-hmm. obviously. It's a whole <laughs> should well, thank you, Mr. Jones, for being here. And oh, sorry, Sharon. No, okay. I just a brief comment. Um, you know, given the economic times, it's kind of following up what Tom was saying is, when we do this research, how much how much is it going to cost? Um, I'm just thinking of the community and how to educate them. I'm excited about the research, though. I know the one thing that we took away, I took away as a parent when my son wasn't stellar, and then my grandkids were at Polaris is that interaction between the students. You were talking about the worth of an 8-year-old and an 18-year-old. I know my granddaughter, when she was uh, uh, in high school, she really interacted with the younger students and bonded with them and very excited about working with them, and that's what we took away from that. So it is exciting about this, um, and so I'm just looking forward to seeing what your research says. President House, I need to correct. I called Mr. Jethro. I'm sorry, Mr. Jones. I didn't finish my. I'm sorry about that. Sometimes it's just Jethro. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Jones. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to ixl.com/be to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com BE.